0: Hello and welcome back to the Treadweary podcast, the audio arm of Treadweary.com. I am your host, Pastor Carlton Smee, coming to you from the uh, rapidly melting Great White North of northwestern Minnesota, and this is a place where we gather together to deal with the issues of the gospel, to dig into the scriptures and see where Jesus is speaking to grant us freedom, to grant us release, to forgive us our sins. And so far we have been going through the book of John, and we've been looking at it through a particular lens, through the lens of worship, in part because I'm focusing on that that text in John 4, where Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, and talking about God seeking true worshippers and how trying to see how this gospel this text connects to how we conduct our worship how our worship is 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 tied to scripture and so as we've been moving along we just finished John 7 last week and now we are moving into John 8 this particular section dealing with the woman caught in adultery, and then we will move on to the rest of that chapter in the subsequent weeks. With that being said, want you turn with me to John chapter 8 in your Bible. And I'll be beginning at verse 53 of chapter 7 and going through verse 11 of chapter 8. Then each one went to his house, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started riding on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? no one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you," said Jesus. "Go, and from now on do not sin any more." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. Gracious God, we do ask that you'd open your word to us today. Guide us by it, make us true worshipers, help us to crave the forgiveness and the lack of condemnation that we need that comes only through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. This is one of the somewhat complicated sections of Scripture, controversial only in the sense that it doesn't appear in many of our oldest manuscripts, but we hold on to it in part because we, we feel as though it fits the character of Jesus, but also because people love it they love this story and there there have been times where this story this encounter that Christ has that it it fits in various different places within John people have have moved it around and 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 that's what happens when you have a a culture that's based off of scribes based off of taking scrolls and having someone have the job of writing it out again and again, because there wasn't a Xerox machine, there wasn't a copying machine to to be able to do that. There wasn't a, a printer to just type it into a computer and everything would be fine. And so you'd have people whose jobs were to, to write out the same book over and over and over again to make sure that there were copies. And so it's part of the reason why in the scriptures, well, here uh, it talked of the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes being experts in the law, because part of their job was copying down the scriptures, copying down the the Torah, the five books of Moses, over and over and over again. And just by doing that, all of them would know the text frontwards and backwards. But we we hold on to it here, and, and it sits in a weird place, because where verse 11 ends and verse 12 begins, which is when Jesus starts to talk him of himself as the light of the world anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness but will have the light of life and then it talks about the, the the pharisees confronting him about that testimony this text with the woman caught in adultery just doesn't necessarily seem to fit the flow because we we just have him getting done with his encounter with people and the the officers go back to the pharisees and say well you know this this guy has authority he has power no we we can't we've never heard anybody talk like him and so an uproar happens within the sanhedrin within the council within the the pharisees and the sadducees over over jesus and then we have jesus again speaking and the pharisees somehow are there so there's a question of did did the scribes and the pharisees bring this woman to a place where Jesus was already in the process of, of teaching there in the temple and the Pharisees were present, but a whole group of Pharisees and scribes brought this woman and they left, but some other Pharisees stayed. It it, it doesn't necessarily fit the flow and yet it fits our Jesus. It fits what he would do and it fits what what we, we pray and hope he would do with us. So let's go through here. It says in each one, went to his house, this this going back to the conflict within the Sanhedrin, within the council where Nicodemus speaks up for Jesus and, and they accuse him of being from Galilee too. But it says they went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It could also speak of the people that were there in the temple. Then it says at dawn, he went down to the temple again and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. And the assumption is is that this is still during the Festival of Tabernacles, the Festival of Shelters, Festival of Tents, whatever you want to call it. And so, so there would still be a large group of people there. And as the scribes and the Pharisees have been interrupting him and, and causing issues in the past, they do it again, except this time they feel they can catch him one more time. They feel that that they can get him because of the fact that they are forcing him to confront an issue of the law that is both... uh, uh, the, the, the spiritual law, the, the, the God-given law, but also what would have been somewhat of the, the traditional law, the, the secular law of the people there. It, it would have been considered a, a, a way of managing problems within the society to have punishment, to have, to have consequences, and just here it's coming from a, a religious point of view. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring a, a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. And people have, have gone back and forth. Commentators have gone back and forth about who this woman is, what it means by her being caught in adultery. More than likely, she was a prostitute, a, a rather well-known prostitute that that they they may have been wanting to get in trouble in the first place. But more often than not, they turned a blind eye to it because uh, there could be questions about whether some of them were some of her clients but also maybe they turned a blind eye because it was a form of the economy which is not good but when you live in a society in which women have very few rights uh, let's say none at all they, they couldn't start their own business they couldn't go to college they couldn't Uh, do much other than than work from home or work at home or maybe sell a few things here and there of whatever they grow or they make themselves, it's no wonder then that the world's quote-unquote oldest profession would exist in that society. Because when you take a woman and you take every opportunity away from her, every right she could possibly ever have to subsist on her own, She's going to take whatever she can, whatever service she can provide in order to make sure that she doesn't die or that her family doesn't die. And so the biggest question for for me, usually, first of all, when I come to this text and when I speak on it is where's the dude? Like, why didn't they bring the dude with, right? Because it takes two. You know, that's something that we learn in health class when we're 10, right? It takes two and they don't bring the dude. The dude's not getting in trouble. That's one of the biggest issues of a patriarchal society is that we don't hold our men accountable. We hold our women accountable for all sorts of things. We'd probably find things that, that are harming our society, whether it be sex trafficking or, or, or rape, incest, abortion, Anything that results from sexual encounters, we would probably see a lot of those things drop if we actually held our men accountable. Like dads, seriously, your job is important. Men, it takes two. You need to step up and take responsibility. Okay, now I'm going to get off my soapbox because this isn't on parenting and this isn't on on being dads, but I, I tend to get Frustrated when we don't hold our men accountable and hold them to a higher standard. Let's 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 hold our men, you know, to to their responsibilities of what they need to do, and not leave our women to have to figure out things on their own. and And maybe things would work out a little bit better. Okay, I'm getting I'm getting off my my soapbox. No, anyways, they bring this woman caught in the act of, the, of adultery. Meaning they they probably planned this. They knew she was a prostitute. Maybe one of them went to go and see her, and it was like a sting operation or whatever. They, they get her. They bring her to Jesus. More than likely, they probably beat her. They probably manhandled her. They probably didn't treat her very well. There's some commentators that like to think that she was brought to them unclothed, naked, to shame her publicly. And she's brought to be forced to stand in the middle of her accusers in front of Jesus as he is teaching. And they say teacher, which is almost derogatory because they don't consider him a teacher. They said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what? do you say they ask this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So they bring her, they do all these things to her. Then they want this teacher to pass judgment and they think they can catch him in part because maybe, you know, since he's been hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and those who the society calls sinners, if he says, yeah, stoner, He's probably going to lose his audience, is they're thinking. And if he says, no, we shouldn't stone her, we shouldn't do anything of the sort, you, you know, we, we shouldn't punish her, uh, we should just uh, let her be. They think then that, well, he's breaking the law of Moses, so then we can condemn him as a heretic and we can stone him, probably alongside her. They're wanting to trick him. And sometimes I wonder how that works for us with our Jesus, how that works for us with God. That we so often are better at looking at the sins of others rather than our own. And so it is that in our worship, we, we gather together as a church, and how often it is that we sit on one side of the room because someone else sits on the other side of the room, that we can't stand, but we're still part of this church, and so we have to get along. But. We definitely know one another's sins. I serve, in a, I serve in two very small towns, and people know what is going on. And quite often, I have people come up to me, and they know when I've been out of town because it's gotten around. <laughs> right? People know. People can tell me stories or will try and tell me stories of some of my parishioners that they know that they know of their sins. And we do that in part because we want to lift ourselves up. We want, to, we want to raise ourselves up just a little bit, even if it's just one notch above our neighbor. We then can lord ourselves over our neighbor, and then we, we think that we're adding to our own righteousness. We think that we are saving ourselves, and so then we feel better. That Well, at least we're not her. At least we're not him. And so here we have the Pharisees standing in all their pomp and circumstance, not thinking that there's probably a dude standing among them who tricked this woman so that they might punish her. But I love Jesus' response. He doesn't answer right away. He just stoops down and starts writing in the dirt with his finger. I'd love to know what it is that he was doing, but he basically is ignoring them because it then says when they persisted in questioning him he stood up and said to them so so he just stooped down and he starts ignoring them and he's writing out something i don't know i wonder uh, could it be some of the commandments that he knows that they've broken i don't know that doesn't really fit in with the grace of christ the fact that he casts our sins so far into the deepest part of the sea that he that he throws them as far as east is from the west so far as he removed our sins from us, maybe he was he was writing around the, the names of all their uh, their girlfriends that they have on the side, right? <laughs> or all their boyfriends they have on the side, or or you know children or, or whatnot. All the sexual sins that these these men quite possibly could be convicted of, or maybe he's starting to write out the gospel portions of the scriptures that so often we lose those those issues of god casting our sins as far away from us as humanly possible that we will never be able to find them again that he that he's 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 writing down these texts to be able to have them there that people might go wow I forgot about that one never mind jesus but then jesus stands up and he says the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And just like Jesus always does, he finds a place in the middle. He doesn't say, no, that law is wrong. But what he does say is, okay, let's apply this law the way it should be. The law coming to us to convict us of our sin, but even more so to drive us to our Jesus. That becomes the place for church Church being a place not so that we show up to try and be better, so so that we can go out into the world and condemn the world for for whatever sins we might see. It's not there for us to be that woman standing in shame in front of all people. But it is there to be a place that, yes, we might hear some harsh words, some harsh things that make us very uncomfortable. But in the midst of all that, we have our Jesus stooped in the dirt, writing out the gospel prescription for our souls. And he stands up and he says, okay, you might condemn her, but you who don't have sin, any sin at all in your life, you can go ahead and condemn this woman and throw the first the first stone. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. As though he was, I've got other things to do, boys, you figure it out. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. I always find that interesting. It says, starting with the older men. Part of it could be a prestige thing, that the the older men were in charge, and so they they were the most elder, so they were supposed to lead everybody out. But sometimes I wonder if it was the older men because they understood. Because as we get older, we understand our sin more and more. As we get older, we're able to be reminded of the things we did in high school even more, things we did in college, the things that we continue to do. So the older men leave. They kind of have it figured out, and the younger men leave too, in part maybe just following the example. And they're dropping the rocks as they're walking away. And then Jesus stands up. And I love this. This is so beautiful. He stands up and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one passed the sentence? Has no one decided to carry out the, the, what the law says? Because the, the truth of the matter is that her being caught in adultery, her being a, a, a prostitute at that time, was a breaking of the law. They weren't exactly in the wrong. They, they, they were interpreting the letter of the law. But here we have Jesus getting to the heart of the law, applying that law to everyone around him so that just as we can show up to church and we can feel shame or guilt for a particular sin, what the scriptures do for us is, yes, it condemns us for our idolatry, or it might condemn us even for that shame or guilt that we bring to church that day. But then it is the, my job and it's the job of every pastor in that worship service to hand over the goods, as Dr. James Nestigan says, to hand over to you, Jesus Christ. And here, Christ does that for us perfectly. Who's condemned you? And she's wallowing in the dirt, probably weeping tears, cringing, waiting to feel that first stone. And she feels a hand on her shoulder and it is Jesus, and all she can say is, no one, Lord, no one has condemned me. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go on from now on, do not sin anymore. That verse, verse 11, is one of those ones that often hits the church in different ways. You can tell a preacher... What kind of preacher a preacher is based on how they interpret that text, what they emphasize on that text. Many will emphasize go and sin no more because they feel that that is this call for Jesus to call us to holiness, this call of Jesus to call us to a better life than what it is we have now, to 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 make ourselves worthy, honorable, perfect. But notice that's the second thing he says. The first thing he says is, neither do I condemn you. She's caught in her sin. The law has been applied to her the way it should be applied, and yet the gospel sneaks in to steal away from the law another victim so that the gospel might be spread over her to cover her nakedness, to cover her shame, to cover her guilt. And so it is that Christ comes to us does not condemn us. He takes away any chance of condemnation and he gifts to us the spirit that we need of life and salvation that the law cannot provide because the law always condemns us because it's always going to come to us and tell us that we should do something and not give us the power to do it. Will come and tell us, do not commit adultery, but it doesn't give us the power to not commit adultery. It's just there to condemn us when we do. And here we have Christ stepping up and saying, I don't condemn you. As the Savior of the world, I do not condemn you. And yes, there is this call to go and sin no more because he's looking at this shivering, naked, shame-covered, beloved child of God. And he doesn't want her to be in that position again. And that is the Jesus we need, the one who comes to us in his word, in our worship, in that service, to be able to say to us, neither do I condemn you. Now go live in the freedom that I have given you of freeing you from the condemnation of the law that I might grant you a new life that is lived solely by my grace and mercy. That is what we receive from Christ. Well, that's all we have for this week. Go with the blessings of God upon you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.